He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. Uh, my name is Kyle. Once again, be your host. Here with the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> talk a little bit about what's going on on their side of the pond. Case. Aren't we all on the same side of the pond, I guess? Yeah, dude, seriously. <laughs> what the fuck Kyle's, are you talking about? Kyle's going to change shit up this week, bro. Okay. Kyle's going straight. He's going strictly east and just going yeah. around that way. <laughs> it's been in the high 50s, low 60s, and rainy lately, or as I keep telling everybody around here, a nice Minnesota summer. <laughs> We're in good shape down here in Texas. That's good to hear. James. I uh, took two and a half hours for me to vote today. Uh, we filmed this uh, before the election results are final so if the person i voted for won this hellish world we're living in is finally over and we can uh, breathe a sigh of relief and if the person i didn't vote for won this will be my suicide note and so i love my family <laughs> and i'm sorry it had to end this way <laughs> oh fuck this it just got dark in here yeah all right warren your last will and testament on an episode of munson's in the movies <laughs> follow that one up bud yeah yeah, this is actually before Halloween, and uh, getting I've got a outfit and everything all prepped. Uh, we're doing a family outfit. My son's going to be Charlie Brown. We're going to color our dog like Snoopy, and I'm going to be Linus, and my wife's going to be Lucy. So we're going to oh. be old Peanuts King. It's going to be awesome. That's awesome. That's it's going to be really real good. good. What's your favorite uh, Halloween candy, Warren? Like anything but milk duds. I agree. Wait, candy corn even? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if if yeah, more than milk duds. Milk duds suck. I I wholly agree with that. Wholly agree. I also think candy corn gets unnecessarily hated on. Is it good? No, but it's not no. as bad as uh, some of these other candies. Like, Good and Plenty has been getting made for years, and I don't know a single person who likes that shit. I don't mind having one candy corn. It's like, it's Easter. I'll have a peep. I'll have a candy cane at Christmas. And it's just how you know what, what season it is, is by what's uh, what's available. I'm going to be really popular this year for Halloween because I'm only going to hand out Valentine's candy. <laughs> <laughs> Eight months overdue, huh? <laughs> Don't check the expiration date, kids. Yeah. You'll be fine. Four months early. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's going to be really wild having a bunch of like elementary kids saying, getting candy that says, be mine from a middle-aged man. <laughs> <laughs> me. yeah not much on my end but i also voted yesterday uh it took me about 10 minutes i don't know how i got lucky but um yeah i'm ready for the election ready for the election to be over i'm sick of seeing political ads every five minutes so it's gonna be the longest week of our lives until tuesday but i'm ready for it on my end i enjoyed some uh, delicious five dollar sushi tonight um took oh. took advantage oh yeah you know cheap the good stuff R.I.P. R.I.P. Your butthole, man. That's <laughs> I may have had four of those uh, containers worth too, so um, I split them. Oh. So two, technically, if you want to do the math. Twenty dollars sushi. Uh, yeah, pretty much. 
I would have just gotten good shit for 20 bucks <laughs> instead of four or five. I went in only planning to get two of them. I was like, ah, oh, they're usually like seven, eight bucks, but I saw it was five dollars and I went, Oh, well time to splurge, boys. Time to stock up Spikes. on shitty sushi. Let's go. Of all the things not to to splurge on <laughs> discounted. You got seafood. You don't splurge on that or discounted condoms. You just don't do it. Are <laughs> expired, yeah. But I'm happy to uh, welcome our next guest, Munson, his first appearance on the podcast. Dames Marfs is with us. Nice. Welcome, Dames. What up, Dames? How you doing, Dames? He's the third wheel on the Colt Film Podcast. See, so of three Colt Films fans and finds. There they talk about and rate Colt classics, often with a star from the film, ultimately giving way to the patented Colt Filmometer. Dames does have an engineering job, so the ladies know. <laughs> Other than that, he fronts several bands in the Omaha area and is a respected recording artist. Welcome, Dames. Nice. Yeah, yeah. How you guys doing? What up, man? We're good, man. I like to describe Dames as the best wheel, not the third wheel. All right. <laughs> that's, that's, very, that's rare. <laughs> that's rare. <laughs> the better of the two Marvins who have joined us. I mean... That and I just got done putting out the last four packs of sushi <laughs> <laughs> from last from last week. I get, I'm rest assured I didn't go to Omaha, Nebraska for my sushi. So yeah, that would have made <laughs> it only better. We, oh, we came to you. That, I would say that's called landlocked, baby. Dames, we we appreciate you have, being here and uh, talking a little bit of Brian Cranston with us. Sure. Hey, Dames, what kind of bands are you in? Uh. The good kind. Actually, I did want to talk a little bit about because CF3 is actually switching to a, a video podcast. So yeah. we'll have a YouTube yeah, t- uh, TV show coming coming at the, probably somewhere about the beginning of the year. And to answer your question about cool. music, I'm actually, this is my last day at work for the next 11 days because I'm about to lock myself in the studio uh, for seven days with my recording partner. And we're going to record whatever happens in that seven days and we're just going to call it the week and we're going to release it. So I'm pretty excited about that. That's cool as hell. So you guys have been on hiatus for about what, five months or so on the CF3 side. Yeah. It just kind of happened where, you know, COVID hit and then we were able to get anybody that we wanted to be on the show, but then everybody got swamped with work. It's crazy because, you know, we hear about all these people losing their jobs. So I'm a telecom engineer. I went from 5% of the country using web chat to 90% of the country using web chat. So we just absolutely got slammed. We had to unfortunately take a hiatus, but in then we, we came up with the reinvention of what CF3 will be. And I think it's, I mean, we're writing original music for it, uh, for the bumpers and working on graphics and editing all the, you know, that's that kind of stuff. So we're going to put out a quality product. I think that's about us. Yeah. That'll be cool to see. The new logo looks awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I saw you guys put out uh, like a 30-minute video the other day explaining everything that's going on. So pretty excited for y'all. Thank you. Get back there and get all the uh, – because you guys bring in some really impressive guests on your show. Thank you. All right, birthdays, November 5th, Warren. So November 5th, we got Famke Jansen. She was an X-Men as Jean Grey, the original X-Men. She was in The Faculty. She was in GoldenEye. And taken three. She was dumb enough to get taken a third time. <laughs> yeah, she did. How old is Famke Jansen? Wow, she hasn't aged since like yeah, 30. She, hasn't. she really hasn't. 54. Mm, 69. <laughs> Great call. I'm going to go 51. I'm going low. Give me a 48. I'm a 52. 53. 56. I think Rigby, oh, had, Rigby yeah. had 54. Sweet. All right. 
Let's still hit it. She was a nip tuck the first season. She was awesome. Yes, she was. Uh, next up, Sam Rockwell, who's in like uh, he's awesome. He's in like everything he's great. great. Seven Psychopaths, Three Billboards, Jojo Rabbit, The First Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Charlie's Angels. What was he in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? He was a foot, foot soldier. He guy. was yeah. He was the foot guy who basically uh, Casey Jones got him and Danny to take oh, Splinter oh, back out. Holy fuck! Like, you just blew my his, fucking mind. That was his second movie he was in. Wow! And he's got this like super New York accent in it. Oh okay, I remember. So how old is Sam Rockwell? Give me sixty. What? I was way the fuck off. 55. Uh, 55. 48. 51. I'm going like 42. 52. Sam, Damn. someone nailed it. Yeah. Sam Rockwell is 52. Is that Rigby again? <laughs> no. No, I said 48. Oh. I said 51. There you go. All right, last up, we got Tilda Swinton, Snowpiercer, oh. Doctor Strange, Burn After Reading, Moonrise Kingdom, and Uncut Gems. She was the oh, voice of the. Geez. She was the voice of the auction manager. <laughs> She's ninety-one. How about fifty-five, Orn? What? I don't think you know who Tilda Swinton is. <laughs> He's defending her honor here. You're saying she's younger? Yeah, definitely younger. Um, eighty-five. Forty-seven. <laughs> I got no clue who you're talking about. So give me a seventy. <laughs> what? I got no clue. Were there any serious guesses there? <laughs> I said 47. Um, yeah, 91. Yeah, dude, 85 was serious. Tilda Swinton is 60. I'm pretty sure Rigby and Kyle doesn't, don't know who she is. I'm pretty sure. What do you mean? I definitely know who Tilda did you Swinton guess is. Sam Rockwell was older than her? I'm pretty confident you did. I, I said, said Sam Rockwell was 48. You guys were up in the 80s. I went low just to be safe so I didn't overshoot. I think it's because uh, Snowpiercer, she just looks 105, and that's the only picture I have like recent in my head. <laughs> She's great. Yeah. Wait a minute. I was I was going dog years, so mine might have actually been closer to the <laughs> <laughs> uh, give me four hundred and twenty. So that's it for the birthdays. Happy birthday, November fifth. Anybody else when he says November fifth, think about Back to the Future? That's when Marty went back to the future. Is it? Yeah, that was the day he went back uh, back to November fifth. Why did I feel like it was in October? Yep. I thought it was in October too. But I could be wrong. Maybe he went back, back. I don't know. Doc even plugs in. November fifth, nineteen fifty-five. <laughs> I think it's because I fall for that Facebook meme where they just replace yep. that date all the time, and yeah. it's like it's today. And I'm like, it might be. You guys have fucked me up at this point. Yep. I'll tell you what, though, Dames. That's a fantastic transition because we're going to talk about the the actor choices around the wheel, and the the first one on that list was Christopher Lloyd of Back to the Future fame. So what? Great God! <laughs> so, I think you knew that. And, and you just connected those dots, and uh, you're a good man for it. Um, so that was option one. Option two was Eugene Levy, popular on social media in terms of the options. We had Elfrey Woodard, Tina Fey, and Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston, we've, we've had a run of really busy actors. So we had mm-hmm. Gary Cole with 179. We had Treo with 8 million. And now we've got Brian Cranston with 157. Of that 157... 73 of those are TV series, whether it's recurring characters or just quick appearances. And he also did 17 TV movies. A lot of stuff you've probably never seen. I don't think I've done anything 73 times. (laughs) (laughs) I can confirm that Treo has died more times in one year than Cranston has done total movies. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) 
James bringing in the deep cuts. Yeah, for real. The disclaimer I gave on Gary Cole and Treo is we're not going to hit everything they've ever done. We're just going to hit the highlights. So again, if we hit something that you love and we didn't mention it, just yell at us on Twitter or on Instagram and we'll, uh, we'll tell you you're right. So as we always do, when we get into our actor, uh, James, take us through a little bit of trivia. Dames, if you are a new listener here, we do two truths and a lie. Uh, two of these facts are going to be true about the life of Brian Cranston, and one of them is actually going to be a fact about one of the many actors from the Fast and the Furious franchise. And you guys got to guess which one is related to the Fast and the Furious franchise. Fact number one, the author of the comic book series Ultimate Spider-Man was such a fan of his work that he instructed the show's artists to base the villain Vulture on him. Fact number two, he once worked as a carny, a.k.a. he traveled and worked with a carnival. Fact number three, he was once the primary suspect in a murder investigation. Wow. Holy shit. Jesus. This might be your hardest one you've ever done. That's good. <laughs> the lie is that he, was, he worked in a carnival because that was Cliff Curtis, the Rock's brother in Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> or maybe, maybe, knows that. maybe it's pronounced Clifford Curtis. I don't know. I think three is the lie, and I think Jason Statham was once the primary suspect in a murder investigation. Three more guesses here. This is fucking difficult, man. All right. Well, what was the first one? Because I want to be different. <laughs> the first one was the author of the comic book series, The Ultimate Spider-Man, was such a uh, fan of his work that he instructed the TV show's artists to base the villain Vulture on him. I'm gonna say that's the lie. Because that sounds like some douche from Fast and the Furious. <laughs> <laughs> um, um. Which I had never seen until I listened to John Kilhorn say he'd never seen it. <laughs> I'm going to go with number one's lie. I think that was Elsa Pataki. I think that's Hemsworth's wife. You know, Man. breaking the gender barriers. I'm going to go number uh, three. Uh, and that's actually Cody Walker. That's Paul Walker's brother. <laughs> This, this stand-in. <laughs> Too soon? No, I think it's properly time. Okay, so then I will start here. Fact number two uh, is, in fact, true. He once worked as a carny. Uh, he was a carnival worker with his brother, and he actually worked a ton of odd jobs before he gets into acting, and Kyle's going to cover those a little later. His brother was Joe Dirt. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Dirty Joe Dirt. Well, I knew that because he smells like cabbage and very his small hands. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Um, fact number three uh, is also true. He was once the primary suspect in a murder investigation. Wow. Before him and his brother left home to you know work odd jobs and eventually get into acting, they both worked as waiters in Florida. And right after they left, the main chef at the restaurant they worked at was murdered. When the police came back and was like, is anyone here ever say anything negative about him? All the people there was like, yeah, Cranston and his brother always <laughs> joked about killing him all the time. <laughs> uh, and they just recently left. The police actually tracked them down and realized that it wasn't them and that wow. uh, the chef was actually just a big piece of shit. Um, and he was tied up in other illegal activities. But he jokes about it in a couple interviews where he mentions like, don't really say jokes about, you know, I would totally kill this guy this way because if he actually does get killed, you are suspect number one. And uh, for good reason. <laughs> Moral story they ask you for the recipes give that shit up <laughs> fact number one is in fact not true uh the character of the vulture uh, was actually based off of jason statham was that rigby nice. or was it i said statham was the the suspect no it was dames. oh dames coming in hot i didn't give names because i don't know who's in that those movies but it was a douche <laughs> so you were yeah, you were very the accurate guy. the douche so there you go 
Thanks, James. Case, tell us a little bit about his snapshot and box office history. This is kind of a basic one. You know, as we brought up and alluded to already, most of his notable work and the volume of his work comes to TV projects. And so obviously we're not going to have any box office information for that. You know, that being said, though, when you compare him to other featured Munson performers, his stats kind of look like his career, you know, pretty effective, but understated. If you average out the ranking in IMDb popularity or star meter, box office performance, critical ranking and fan ranking, he actually ranks fifth out of our 22 performers. Damn. Drastically higher than I thought. You know, I think he's a great performer and, and to have on your cast. I just don't know that he's a superstar that's that's a big movie draw. That's all I got, man. Appreciate it. So before we get into his first feature film, which hit 1991, going to trace a little bit of his start in the entertainment industry. But even before he got to entertainment, he did a lot of stuff as James alluded to earlier in the, the trivia segment. So first, if you look at his IMDb, technically his first role was in an episode of One Life to Live in 1968. Looks like it was just a one-off deal. And he didn't really do any other work until the 80s. But in between, he was... Initially, his parents were not entirely supportive of him going into acting, but he got his start at the Granada Theater in San Fernando Valley, um, like a few of the other months and actors we've covered, comes from a theater background and has done a lot of a lot of good work on the theater side. Over the years, before he got into acting, he became an ordained minister, which has a really interesting story. You can watch an interview with him talking about it online. Um, basically, they just printed off a paper and he signed his name, sent it into the like attorney general, whatever the hell, the, whoever ratifies that stuff. So it was pretty not legit, but he's an ordained minister and he can uh, officiate your wedding. He was a waiter, he was a security guard, he was a camera operator, a truck loader. So he did a, a lot of stuff, you know, just grinding to get through. In the 80s is when he started to get more work on the Hollywood side. So he did two TV movies in 1980. He was on an episode of Crisis Counselor in 82, an episode of Chips in 82, which I know was a big show in that time. In 83, he was one of the original cast members for the show Loving as Douglas Donovan. And I know that's something that people tend to associate with his early career. He did a bunch of other smaller projects, but he was in a movie called Amazon Women on the Moon uh, in 1987. I don't think any of us have seen it, but he played a paramedic in that one. Is that the movie Laura was paramedic number two? <laughs> we'll have to check in with Laura. She's, she may be able to give us more information on that one. He's, you know, he's busy in the '80s, but nothing substantial. Ninety-one hits, and that's uh, his first feature film, or at least what we're going to call his first feature film. And that's Dead Space, and uh, Warren's got it. God bless this movie being seventy-two minutes long. That's the only way it's uh, palatable. I appreciate it. Yeah, hell and, yeah. And it's it's. I love Alien and Aliens, like those those sci-fi movies, and they were just like, give me everything that you can about that movie, and we're going to try and do a remake of a 1982 Roger Corman-produced movie, and you could probably get better <laughs> set design in like a middle school play. Um, and it's like, there are times when doors don't open like right and the people just like pause right in front of it. And they're like, go <laughs> open, you know, go. and like doors, they close and the walls rattle and shit like that. And sounds and nothing, nothing's aligned, but the whole thing of the movie is there. These people are in a space shuttle outside of Saturn and there's this like virus. It's wiped out a bunch of stuff and they're trying to find a, a remedy for it. They kind of, 
throw this thing together, which turns into a creature that grows exponentially. And there's no, like, you you have no fucking clue what time has passed. Like, it could be an hour or it could be a month. You, you just don't know. Nobody has to shave. Nobody goes to the bathroom. And then, you know, it's, you know, this alien thing that grows. It has, you know, wings, but it doesn't use it. And it's it's just it's just hilarious. And Cranston, you can tell immediately this is the only guy who has any clue what he's doing. (laughs) He like delivers stuff correct. He knows what cadence is. He knows not to look at the camera. He knows like like that. There, I mean, there are people. Their their eyes will like pan and like they'll catch the camera and they'll like. Their head will keep moving, and then their eyes will trail like <laughs> afterwards. Is anybody else famous in it besides him or not? Well, the only Pen-pen. the only other person that you might know is uh, Mark Singer, and oh, yeah. he did he did some stuff in Beastmaster series. <laughs> Jesus, he's like the main character technically. Is he the one that has the robot friend? Yeah, ten yeah. ten pan ten pan ten pan. That's right. Seventy two minutes, so that's crazy. It flies by, and like I watched it before, like I was eating breakfast, and before I knew it, I watched the whole thing. <laughs> that was great. Does it, does it though? It's not a good movie, and it's not supposed to no. be. But you can no. you can tell that Cranston definitely knows what's going on. I became fascinated with the quote unquote robot. Yeah, it looked like they cast that robot out of a UCB skit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was clearly a human being with a helmet. One hundred percent. Hey, let's go with it yes and right yes and (laughs) good call that's dead space our next movie is not going to happen until 2010 so we've got an 18 year window that we're going to hit of of his career and he's pretty busy during that time he uh in 93 he's makes his first appearance in uh mighty Morphin power rangers on the tv show he played a couple different characters two different monsters on the on that show. We mentioned it because we're going to mention it later uh, because he makes a return to that to that whole world. A little bit more recent. Question in regards to Power Rangers. I heard that the character of Billy, the Blue Ranger, you know, was a staple of my childhood, was actually named after Brian Cranston. But then upon reading your show notes, I heard that that might not actually be true. Can you tell me that story? So what I learned in my research is that the only controversy I could find about Cranston of everything was i guess he criticized at one point billy's sexuality being a gay man and had to apologize for it that's the only thing i know about it oh okay uh, well that was a way different tone than i thought this was going. <laughs> uh, i thought you were going to say that it was confirmed that it wasn't named after him because billy's last name is actually cranston and he has said many times that the show writers loved him for the voiceover work that he did that they named that character after him um, I had no idea it had anything to do with potential home. <laughs> it probably has to do with both. I didn't even know that was Billy's last name. Yeah. Cool. It's an interesting little connection. All right. I think Jeez. the Pink Ranger was the first person who let me know I was straight when I saw him. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Boy, I don't know what's going on, but I like that. Amy Doe Johnson. Oh, man. She was gorgeous. All right. 94 to 97, he's, he had a recurring character as Tim Watley on Seinfeld. And I would argue he's the best recurring character in the show. Uh, he's in a total of four or five episodes. Each episode he's in has some sort of quote that's still known in, in society today. Anti-dentite, 
uh, oh, regifter, re- that sort of thing. You're a rabbit anti-dentite. Yeah. <laughs> I love that episode where Jerry's convinced that Cranston is a converted Jew just so he can make Jew jokes. And just it's for the jokes. Him. Yeah, and it's driving yep. him insane. It's awesome. He, uh, I would argue that this, I mean, he had a he had a gap between this and Muck in the Middle, but I would argue that this was sort of his, because Seinfeld used to get, I mean, 30, 40 million viewers mm-hmm. a night. I would argue that that was probably what introduced him to the to the spotlight. This is definitely his bis- biggest project at this point in his career. 100%. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Span, he was on it for a span of three or four years, uh, just like one episode each season or something like that. That was big in his career for sure. Yep. 96, uh, he's in That Thing You Do. Probably the, I, I know you said Seinfeld was the biggest part of his career at that point. That Thing You Do is probably the biggest movie he was in early on in his career. He's in it for literally like one scene. He plays Virgil Gus Grissom, but there's a connection there because he there's a NASA connection um, to the next show we're going to mention. That's from the Earth to the Moon, which we talked about in the Gary Cole episode. In this one, he plays Buzz Aldrin in two different episodes, and his his deliberate calm demeanor fit the role pretty well for that whole series on HBO. <laughs> Ninety eight, uh, he's in Saving Private Ryan, a big movie, and that when he plays the War Department Colonel, he's got one arm. Got one arm, yep. There you go. So he could have drummed for Def Leppard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he could have. It's still damn good, too. Or been in The Fugitive. Or play uh, linebacker for the Seahawks. <laughs> or pitch a perfect game for the Yankees. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Possibilities are endless. <laughs> or be a kid I went to elementary school named Joey Baker. Joey's probably not going to be happy about this. Uh, <laughs> Joey's a secret fan, bro. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for my shout he out. He just slams on his car brakes right now. I was like, God damn it, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, he's got two feet. He's, he can handle it. Oh, that. my God. What did Joey do to you? And then 99 to 2001, he has a recurring character. And the King of Queens is Tim. He plays uh, t- uh, Kevin James' neighbor in it. He's actually really funny. That's a show I watch every once in a while, and he's he's in a few of them. What year are we on? 99. 99. Right? Yes, 99. Can we go back to 98 for a second? Sure. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of the X-Files, and I know he did an episode of the X-Files called Drive. The interesting thing about that X-Files episode is it was written by Vince Gilligan, and I'm wondering interesting. if that was the first time they met. I can confirm it is 100%. That's one of the facts That's that good. I have. That's awesome. Yeah. We're on a run of, of good shows in the late 90s, so we talked about the X-Files, King of Queens. We got Third Rock from the Sun, 1999. This is the uh, our third month in connection, the Third Rock from the Sun. We haven't we haven't hit since uh, episode oh, two. Oh, nice! Yeah, we're big big Third Rock from the Sun fans. Oh, we yeah. came out of the gate with uh, two Third Rock from the Sun references, and they have gone cold for nineteen episodes. So number three time. in the bag. We're coming for your French Stewart. Yeah, I was going to say French Stewart's next, baby. <laughs> I was hoping Wayne, Wayne Knight was going to be next. Yeah, I might be <laughs> fat, but I'm slow. I, I love you, Wayne Knight. <laughs> Ninety nine. He's in a movie called Last Chance. Nothing substantial here other than the fact that he's directed it, he's a writer, and he acts in it. So this is when he starts to do some other things other than just acting. I actually read a fact about this. He said in an interview that of all the stuff he's done, he this is the one project he wished more people would know about it because he feels like the story was told really well and he was a huge part of it. Yeah, I watched it. It's like a kind of like a grungy diner movie. The story is pretty unremarkable, but he, you know... It's the first time he really got into the director chair at that mm-hmm. point in his career. So you can catch it on Tubi if you feel so inclined. But then 2000 hits and we have Malcolm in the middle and this character Hale. Just game changing for his career. This show fucking rocks. 
yeah. rewatching it for this podcast, I forgot how good it was. I remember it being fifth and sixth grade. That was a show that I w- definitely tuned into every week it was on for sure. And he was great in it. Perfect casting on their parts. It still held up. I remember uh, freshman year in college, my buddy Davey and I. Davey Hyatt. Be- between 4 and 6 p.m., uh, it was Malcolm Simpsons, Malcolm Simpsons, and then we go eat, go eat dinner. <laughs> That's a hell of a schedule. It's still fucking hilarious, and my yeah. parents my parents Dude. have a cat named Dewey. <laughs> That's uh-huh. a great name. My dad named him off the little the the youngest Malcolm brother because we don't know their last name. <laughs> How many seasons did that go? Six. six. Two thousand to two thousand six. You mentioned that in The Simpsons. I I actually had this parallel. It could have gone like thirty seasons if it would have done what The Simpsons did. Like early on, in The Simpsons was like all about Bart, right? Yeah, and then when they realized what they had in Homer as a character, mm-hmm. they shifted the show to be about Homer, and that's where all the success really came from. Hal's character—if they would have made a switch there—and they kind of did a little bit, uh, in my opinion. Um, they could have gone on, maybe not thirty years, but his character was just that—that that great. There was that one episode, and it sticks out to me, where it's like almost solely him when he drops uh, Malcolm off at the bowling alley. Yeah. He is bowling a perfect game and he develops this like routine that he does where he realizes his flies down. He takes a sip out of the drink. He steps first with this shoe. He coughs, coughs to one side, says bless you to another side. <laughs> each, each, each time he bowls a strike, something else happens. He's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta, you know, add to it. I gotta add to it. He keeps doing it. <laughs> It's it's perfect, and that I mean, really, this show and him acting in it the way he was at the end. And Dames, you're completely right. Like this is something that I feel is missing from his later work. He's very serious because of everything that happened from uh, Breaking Bad and on. Mm-hmm. So people want that, and yep. like this is my favorite Cranston because <laughs> That's he so just funny. he just he just acts like he doesn't like. He acts the way I would expect him to act as a father. I 100% agree. And if if we ever have a chance, I mean, I, I think we do at the end of here, get a rate him as an actor or his career or whatever. Yeah. You will find out exactly how I feel about what you just said. Perfect. <laughs> One thing I loved about his character is it was something I haven't seen before where it was like a completely stressed out but really nice dad who was clearly like, the dumbest of the family, not in the Homer sense where it was comedic, but where it was more like he's dumb, but I'm rooting for him because he's really trying his best. But like his wife is carrying his ass and his kids, they also know that he's really not that good at anything, but he's, he's such a nice person. They just kind of deal with it. It was very unique. He's really good at banging his wife. He's, He's just madly in love with his wife who just owns him completely. What a show. Classic Cranston. 2001, he's in a TV movie called Twas the Night. Plays a character named Nick Wrigley. It is what I would refer to as a broke-ass version of the Santa Claus, which is one of my favorite Christmas movies. His character, he looks like a kidnapper from Three Ninjas in there, if you know what I'm talking about. Just like lots of like tie-dye, like, like disheveled hair. Like, I love just, those guys from Three Ninjas, yeah. He just looks like a slime ball, and he's pretty good in the movie. He plays a pretty convincing slime ball character. It's almost the exact same concept as the santa claus 2004 he's in seeing other people plays a character named peter this is where i would note he starts to get experimental in his career of, of taking on characters with really weird accents since in this one he's he plays kind of a creepy character who's constantly in speedos 
and wears like creepy sunglasses inside all the time. It's not a good movie, but it, you start to see some of that experimenting with accents that he likes to do. Also, Korn's lead singer plays a role in the movie, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> wow. Because he is not an actor, but he uh, he certainly tries. I think the speed of thing probably, he probably got the confidence from the very first scene from Malcolm in the Middle when yeah. he's yep. standing butt naked and Jane Krakowski is shaving him from the toe. <laughs> when he did his SNL monologue, he showed photos of his career and every photo was him in his underwear and all the shows he's done, Breaking Bad, Malcolm <laughs> in the Middle. So he has some fun with that kind of stuff, which I enjoy. So um, the only yeah. difference between him and Jason Segel is a piece of fabric? <laughs> I guess doing his best Borat impression throughout his career. 2006, he's in Little Miss Sunshine as Stan Grossman. And then in 2008, career just skyrockets, goes out of this world mm-hmm. as his character is Walter and Breaking Bad, which ran 2008 to 2013. And he produced uh, in 2011. Before we get into talking about this iconic show, I could go back to the fact we alluded to earlier is an uh, interesting fact about the character of Walter White. Uh, John Cusack and Matthew Broderick were the first two actors that were offered that part, um, and they both turned it down. And AMC was initially uh, cautious about casting Cranston because they only knew of him from his comedy background with Malcolm in the Middle. So they didn't think he would be a good fit because they hadn't seen him in anything dramatic to this level, and they just thought he was funny. But Vince Gilligan showed them those episodes of The X-Files, the themes you actually mentioned. Where Cranston plays a uh, conflicted racist whose head is about to explode. Yeah. And, and that actually changed their mind. Gilligan had actually written that episode while they were working together. That's cool. That's really cool. Got him the role. That's a cool connection. He won, what, four primetime Emmys for his yep. role in that show? I thought it was interesting listening to some interviews of him. And he said, you know, without The Sopranos, Breaking Bad probably wouldn't have existed. Absolutely. The way that they wrote Tony Soprano's character mm-hmm. opened the door for a, a character like Walter. Definitely. The protagonist being an anti-hero yeah. was first, you know, and masterfully done by the Sopranos. But what I think the difference is, is with the Sopranos, Tony has some redeeming qualities. And the stage is set where you know initially he's a bad guy, but you're rooting for him. With Walter White, he starts as what you perceive as a good guy. And by the end of the show, there's no redeeming quality. <laughs> no. Uh, he's pure evil. He's just an evil person, but he is the main character. So you're already bought in on his side. And I think that is the difference. I love The Sopranos, but Walter White's iconic. And I could talk about Breaking Bad forever. Performance in the pilot from Cranston, even though I, I'm not the biggest fan of the show, that performance, like, hooked me right away. And usually when I'm hooked in a pilot, I like stay with it. But for some reason with this, I haven't, but he crushes it for sure. Yeah. What makes him so good in the role? What makes him so good in the role is he goes back and forth. It's like a classic, like Jekyll and Hyde character. Yeah. And he goes back and forth because he's, he's got cancer. Uh, he's got a, a life that is depressing before he got cancer. And so you want him to win. And then he flips the switch where he feels like power and, alpha male bravado and he has this massive ego and all of a sudden he goes from like wow i hope this guy you know finally figures it out to being like actually i forgot i'm rooting for him because he's pure evil he flips it so quickly where he's a decrepit old man battling cancer and then a drug kingpin who's truly terrifying to be around and it's mid-sentence where you can see that change take place and that'll wrap up the 2000s for cranston 2010 lands and we uh experience his lowest critic score that's a movie called The Love Ranch. I got this one. It's going to be quick. 
about as quick as uh, Cranston's character is in the movie because he's on screen for about a minute total. So pretty minor. Just so you guys know, you know how Pesci went into retirement from acting and came out for the Irishman at one point. Mm-hmm. Right? And everybody was like, holy shit, he came out of retirement. This is the movie that put him into retirement. <laughs> you can kind of frame this up. Uh, 2010 was the last time he acted before the Irishman. It is the lowest critic score. It's got like a 13 on Rotten Tomatoes, 28 for audiences. So universally, not very loved. I'm not going to spend much time on the movie plot. The two main stars are Pesci and, and Dame Helen Mirren. The only reason I'll mention who the director is, it's Taylor Hackford. That's Helen Mirren's husband. So I think that's the reason Helen Mirren is in this dumpster fire. Otherwise, what the hell are you doing? Why did you choose this? But he's done like stuff like Ray, The Devil's Advocate, Dolores Claiborne, and uh, Blood In and Blood Out, which we talked about on the Treo episode. Helen Mirren's also been in Fast and Furious. She plays uh, Hobbs' uh, mother. Yes, she has. Yes. Very critically acclaimed. (laughs) The whole movie is based on a true story about the first legal brothel in Nevada. Marin and Pesci run the brothel, and it's about the drama that happens there. Pesci's banging the talent. Uh, Helen Marin falls for a boxer that comes onto their ranch to train, and that creates a bunch of tension in their their marriage. (laughs) There are absolutely terrible boxing. Probably the worst boxing scenes I've ever seen in a movie. It looks like it looks like Rock'em Sock'em robots in there, where the guys literally have their gloves down, and homie's just he's telling them jab. Here comes the jab, and he doesn't put his gloves up and block. It's it's pretty bad. The movie doesn't work because it expects you to sympathize with a bunch of people who run a brothel, and it's hard to do that. The acting's terrible in a lot of ways, and the characters are just disposable. Cranston's character he plays James Pettis, who is a state senator and former federal prosecutor. He and Pesci have this weird interaction um, at the casino. I guess Cranston's character is like trying to gain influence and wants to get in on his operation because he's slightly corrupt. And then his character, they shows him like laughing in the middle of the Bockings fight, and then you never see him again. It's a, it is utterly pointless. I don't know why they even wrote the character in. I guess the good thing to say about this is... It is his lowest critic score, but it's not because of him, really anything he did. So that's, I guess, a good thing, right? His lowest critic score uh, is a movie he is irrelevant in uh, at the end of the day. All right, so that's Love Ranch. 2010 to 2012, very, very busy couple of years for Cranston. So he's in The Lincoln Lawyers, Detective Lankford, small role, but he's in that movie, which pretty successful, pretty well known. He's in Detachment as Mr. Dearden. Again, a really small role. He plays Marsha Gay Harden's husband in that one. And then um, 2011, he's in Drive, plays a character named Shannon, which you could make the case that he's the third or fourth most important character of that story after Gosling and Mulligan's characters. What would you call him? He's kind of like a manager. I don't know. He like He's helping him get jobs. He's basically a pimp, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, he, he's a stunt manager, but he also hooks him up with robbery jobs and stuff like that. He's kind of like his mentor in a way. Yeah, that's a movie I need, I need to watch again. I feel like I feel it's like awesome. I haven't seen it. Yeah, since Drive the is year fantastic. It came out. Drive, Drive is awesome. Gosling's character is only eight hundred and ninety-one. Interesting. So I guess you can make a case that Cranston's character talks the, has the most lines of anyone in that movie. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, Gosling's character is very nonverbal. It's a lot of mannerisms and deep stares at people. God, those eyes. <laughs> I mean, that would would mesmerize you. That was like the first movie i remember oscar isaac being like a big part of too 2011 he's in leave as elliot he wrote this one again a really terrible british accent he's in one scene but scene in the movie but again just dabbling with accents trying some different things 
I appreciate the fact that he was the writer. He knows he doesn't do a great British accent, yet he wrote himself a scene. <laughs> That's phenomenal. <laughs> He's in one scene at a party, man. Larry Crown, he played a character named Dean Tainet. We've mentioned Larry Crown on quite a few months since episodes at this point. He plays Julia Roberts' husband, and he is a complete turd. He's jobless. He's basically leeching off of her as a writer. And instead of going out and finding a job or writing new stuff, he spends all day looking at porn. <laughs> She's in the midst of a midlife crisis, and he's really entertaining in this movie in that role as a sleazeball who spends all day looking at porn. I think it's hilarious that because you reviewed that movie for the first actor we covered, that you have to review every actor's performance in the movie going forward. And apparently there's like 30 actors in that movie. <laughs> I know. Yes. That's like, that's number three for us on Larry Crown. It was Rami, and who was the second one? Google. Google. That's right. And he was in that movie with Tom Hanks. So it's another callback to earlier in the episode. A lot of crossover. 2011, he was in Contagion, which I this was the first time I'd seen it for this pod. And I agree with you, Rigby. I think it's much better. Than the uh, the other pandemic movie we watched a couple episodes back. His character is really small in it, but the part that stands out to me is that, like, in the first minute, John Hawks' character tells tells Lawrence Fishburne to give up on the Detroit Lions, and I felt that it was right here. It was right here. That one hit a little too close to home, right? It felt like things I should do, but I won't because I'm a glutton for pain. One of those rare pop culture references that ages well. Yep, exactly. <laughs> that That is timeless. When you say the character is small, he wasn't playing like a little person. No. He just no, meant he wasn't. Minor, minor character, <laughs> wasn't it? Was like, that, would, that would be actually a pretty, pretty diverse thing for him. <laughs> Not like when he was Gus Grissom. The range, that thing you do. The range, exactly. And then Dimitri Martin was in that movie too, so another uh, you know, crossover with stand-up comedian trying acting that I don't think worked out really well. He's in Red Tails as Colonel William Mortimus, another accent. He plays like a racist colonel in this movie, and he tries his best at a southern accent. Not bad. I give him a little bit better than some of the other accents I've seen him. And he does the racist well, I guess you would say. John Carter, in 2012, played a character named Powell. That uh, This is by far the largest budget on his film roster. It's a $250 million budget, which is tied for the most of any movie we've looked at. Damn. <laughs> What a bomberuski. We all worked together when that movie came out, where I just remember reading how it was such a disaster. 2012, he was in Archer. He played a character named Commander Drake. It's just a two-episode um, combo, but uh, the whole plot for those two episodes, it's, it's like Armageddon, where Archer is Bruce Willis. And uh, that's the little note I made watching those two episodes. Hey, Kyle, as far as I'm concerned, we can't reference Armageddon too much. That's that true. Is great. Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted. He plays a character named Vitaly was a uh, a russian siberian tiger and he puts on a russian accent in this one so again playing with accents the tiger actually kind of looks like him too which is weird to kind of wrap it up before we get the highest critic score you've got rock of ages 2012 as mike whitmore and it's a remake right of total recall cohagen yeah cohagen yeah. i watched this one i watched this the one first half of it and uh <laughs> it's just the other one too. <laughs> the, the issue with this is just like um, I'm I'm Colin Farrell, and I I look at him, and all I see him from is horrible bosses. Exactly. All he's got in the movie is Kate Beckinsale and Jessica Biel fighting him, and then fighting over him, and all this stuff. It's just like, give me a fucking break. Je- Jessica Biel may straight up be like one of the worst actresses in Hollywood. She's good looking, but she's. I'm not going to disagree with you. Why would you remake this movie though? The only thing good about the original was like the quotes. 
and they and they didn't even have that. They didn't, like there's no Craig and give, give the these, people the give air. these yeah. people air. Yeah, I mean it's hard. Yeah, and with his eyes and everything like bugging out of his head uh, when the the oxygen's going away. Yeah, you, you just I mean you obviously can't do that unless you have Colin Farrell who has an Irish accent. You have him try and do a different kind of accent, <laughs> but you just you're just not going to get that. Maybe we should just open up. The Cohagen in the original is like creepy, and he's like a really good bad guy. I didn't think Cranston was all that really in this movie, if I'm being honest. All right, the fifth movie he did of 2012 is his highest critic score. So busy year of production in 2011 for him, and that's Argo, best picture winner. And James has it. Argo is based on the true story of when militants actually overtook the U.S. embassy in Iran in 1979, and it. Uh, hostage situation that kind of played out for the entirety of the end of Jimmy Carter's presidency. Argo is based off the uh, recently declassified true story of how amid the chaos, six Americans actually slipped away from the militants who took those hostages and were hiding with the Canadian ambassador, acting under the cover of a Hollywood producer scouting a location for a science fiction film. A CIA agent played by Ben Affleck was the head of an operation to rescue those six Americans. I'm not going to talk much about this movie because I love it. No need to go through the plot. I would rather just kind of talk about it with you guys. A quick summary. It won. It was nominated for seven Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. It ended up winning three Best Film Editing, Best Writing, Best Picture. Brian Cranston plays a fictional CIA agent named Jack O'Donnell, who is the head of the operation in the U.S. base. He's uh, Affleck's uh, higher up. He's who Affleck reports to, and he's the one who's kind of running it stateside while Affleck is actually in Iran. I loved rewatching it. I could watch it all the time. I think the opening scene is some of the best uh, anxiety uh, driven action that I have seen, uh, especially from Affleck, who seems like as a director, he really enjoys opening his movies with something exciting and anxiety driven. Where is this in the order of Affleck's directing? This came out in 2012. Yeah, because he did Gone Baby Gone was his first one. That was his first. And then The Town was 2010. So this would have been third. Yeah, this was third. Those are three awesome movies. So like, I can shit yeah. on Affleck as much as possible for maybe not being a great actor. He was the bomb in Phantoms, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great reference. Call back. <laughs> yeah, bring that one back. This movie's fantastic. I think the opening scene where yeah. the militants are you know, protesting outside of the U.S. Embassy, and it's like such a good representation of office bullshit of what to do, and everyone's afraid to kind of take the lead. And they're like, well, we should wait for the police to get here. It's like, there's 2,000 people with pitchforks outside. Like, what the fuck are the police going to do? Like, we're fucked. You know, we have to get out of here. It's like, well, we should wait till we hear from the U.S. on what to do. And finally, one guy's like, they're about to firebomb this place. We're sneaking out the back. And the first 10 minutes of the movie sets the stage for how serious this situation is. I would agree with what you said about how in all the frenziness, like Cranston's kind of like running the operations um, from the office standpoint. And he's awesome. I only saw it once from what I remember, but doesn't he have like a monologue in the office where when things like go to shit that like really sort of, he kind of like steals the scene. The CIA puts together all of the ideas that they have. And then they have to essentially pitch this to the, the president's right hand man who then pitched the, to Jimmy Carter for a stamp of approval. And all the ideas are shit. And finally, the White House is like, all your ideas are bad, and this is the best you've come up with. 
And Cranston's like, yes, sir, this is the, the best bad idea we have. <laughs> this like, by far, this is, this is the best one, and we know it's bad. He's a supervisor, right? I mean, he's like the manager of the CIA, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's intense from what I remember, for sure. Actually, I think the reason why I disliked this originally was because I thought it was just a movie that Affleck wrote. I didn't know that there was an actual like story, like a real story behind <laughs> it. it is, and so, so I was it, like, this is, this is so fucking, this is so fucking lazy. <laughs> That's exactly what it was, was I, I walked in and I was like, who believes this shit? Like, how yeah. dumb is everybody in this world? It's a, it's absolutely a true story. Uh, it's not 100% true. Like I said, Chris's character is fictional character but tony mendez who affleck plays is the guy who wrote like it it's he was a cia agent he got the highest honor from the president and it got declassified in like the 90s okay thanks james 2014 cranston went back to the stage and he got a tony award for best actor for his role as lbj in all the way which we're going to talk about here in a minute in the film adaptation of it but pretty cool he got that's highest award possible when you're doing stage productions. Also, 2014, he's in Godzilla as Joe Brody, a c- little cross with our boy Ken Watanabe. 2015, he played Dalton Trumbo in Trumbo, which earned him an Oscar, Golden Globe, and SAG nom for Best Actor. This is his only Oscar nomination for this role. Yep. So it's based on a, a real person, and he was a Hollywood screenwriter, one of the best in the game, but he was a communist. During the McCarthy era, they blacklisted all of these screenwriters. And so he leads a group who are writing scripts for production companies secretly under fake names. And he would routinely write while he was in the bathtub while smoking his like long cigarettes. Mm-hmm. That's the gist of the character in the movie. He's pretty good in it. I'd have to look at all the other uh, nominees that year for the Oscar, but... I'd say it's pretty worthy, considering the role that he put in. Speaking of communism and writers, the movie The Majestic with Jim Carrey, mm-hmm. he is very much a screenwriter in that same scenario, being accused of being a communist. Mm-hmm. His character's name is Luke Trimble. Oh. Mm. Kind of plucked that name a little bit from Trumbo, uh, I think. Because of uh, research on this podcast, I figured out that Joseph Gordon-Levitt's grandfather was actually a communist who was blackballed in Hollywood. That's right. Yeah, I forgot yep. that was a thing. Yep. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that. A little throwback to episode one. And then in 2015 to 2017, he played a character named Vince on Sneaky Pete, which he co-created and produced and wrote. And I know from his interviews, and J- James, you could probably back this one up, that he his family used to call him Sneaky Pete because he was kind of a, a shysty character when growing up. This show was definitely something that's in, close to his heart. And I think what uh, Giovanni Rubisi played the main character in the show. That's a good show, and he's a good heavy in it too. Fantastic, yeah, fantastic. He's a good bad guy for sure in it. And that takes us to uh, our Munson's choice. So if you're a first time listener, the way this works, uh, we hit the usual five categories, but our guests get a chance to pick performance from that particular performer. And in this case, Dames went with the screen adaptation of All the Way. So Dames, tell us a little bit about. It. We got Lyndon Baines Johnson becomes president of the United States the chaotic aftermath of JFK's assassination. Spoiler. <laughs> he died <laughs> in to quickly, um, quickly pass the civil rights act. But as we watched the movie, we realized as well as he did get that civil rights act passed, it probably wasn't probably his first priority <laughs> to do so. No. I just think this is one of the most brilliant performances I've ever seen by a human being. And I say that, you know, having watched 
my fair share of performances over the years. I don't even think this is his best performance by any stretch. I can't imagine what he would have been like playing Howard Beale and Patty Shiaski's network, which he did. Uh-huh. The fact that that's not a release that we can watch right now is a crime in itself. Mm-hmm. So LBJ, it's just the story of him in civil rights times. So. He's so good in it, man. Yeah, He's unrecognizable, dude. He's so good in this movie from start to finish. I mean, commanding presence. I mean, it wasn't definitely something that he's going to be exhausted by the end of the day of shooting because he is going all full bore in almost every scene. I mean, how do you not take years to prep for that? I mean, he's with other heavyweights like Franklin Jella oh, yeah. and Bradley Whitford. I mean, these guys are like M. De La Creme, and then he's just uh, on another planet. The scenes with Martin Luther King played by Anthony Mackie were, were fantastic. Those two together were great. And this is only a TV movie, too. That's the wildest part. This wasn't even wide release. Yeah, the picture that I'm looking at, it, it looks like Cranston is doing his best impression of Richard Jenkins doing an impression of LBJ. <laughs> like it, I mean, it's it's incredible. You're right. If I were to look at it really quick, I'd say that's Richard Jenkins. <laughs> it's impressive. Yeah, I appreciate you picking this one, Dames, because this was I, I probably wouldn't have watched it otherwise, and this was cool to watch. How long did I think about it after you asked me? So, uh, a second. You're like, you might, you might want to pick another one. I'm like, this is it. That's it. What I found interesting about this was it was the first time I learned Lyndon B. Johnson, despite being the president who helped pass the Civil Rights Act, was actually like fucking racist in his personal life. Oh, yeah. Wrapping my head around that and how I just completely missed that listening, you know, growing up and hearing about our history is still interesting to kind of explore someone who can do so much positive but then personally not believe in what he's doing is it's a lot on right well yeah think about it what are the history books moving forward gonna say it gives you good historical context around dixocrats and how the the political landscape changed after lbj all right thanks james 2016 again another busy year for him so we've got the infiltrator in 2016 is robert mazur and then uh his largest critic gap so we got a couple categories just in that year and uh, this one is Wakefield, and Rigby's got this one. So Wakefield is a movie from 2016, as Kyle mentioned. Uh, it's based off a short story. Brian Cranston plays the uh, the titular character, uh, Howard Wakefield. Wakefield is a, is a New York attorney. Um, he's got a good job, a good family, and he makes a lot of money. But you realize when the movie opens, he's depressed and seemingly going through his life without a purpose. His wife, played by Jennifer Gardner, uh, they have kind of a strange relationship where they flirt with other people to to become more sexually attracted to each other. So I call that the James Marsden uh, relationship. <laughs> <laughs> the plot of the movie is uh, Wakefield on his way home from work one night, and he runs into the garage to chase a raccoon, and he chases the raccoon up to the house's attic. And when he gets to the attic, he sees that he has a perfect view of his family from the attic, and he realizes that he can watch them and see their interactions and he doesn't have to be a part of their life basically. And he can also sort of abandon all of his responsibilities. Just be alone, basically live a stress-free life. Don't have to go to work. Don't have to deal with the bullshit that you deal with on a day-to-day basis, uh, both inside and outside the home. So he just stays in the attic and he observes everything from a distance. Cranston's obviously the backbone of the movie. He narrates the movie from start to finish and everything is seen through his eyes and his voice. The movie is a pretty emotional one because 
you know, he, he assumes that his wife and his family will be, because he's kind of detached from them, he assumes that they'll just live their life without him. Um, and I think he's kind of surprised to realize that that's not the case. And he misses, you know, months go on when he's in this attic, he doesn't shave, he doesn't change his clothes, he becomes disheveled. And I think he realizes that he misses his family um, more than he thought he would. And there's a scene where he leaves the attic because he is homeless. So no one would even recognize, or he looks homeless. So no one would even recognize him because he's wearing drabby clothes. He's got a, you know, a really long beard, um, really long hair. And he runs into his wife on the sidewalk and she doesn't recognize him anymore. Um, she just passes him off as like a homeless guy. It's a funny movie. It's dark. It's emotional. And I think it's the kind of role that Cranston was born to play because he's, like I said, he narrates it. So you, you hear it from both, you, you watch him act, but you also hear his thoughts. I thought that lent a really powerful aspect to the movie. The final scene is what makes the movie uh, without giving it away. I, I love the final scene. I think me really too. Cool. Hit me like a ton of bricks, man. I won't give it away just because I want people, the movie's yeah. on Netflix and I want people to go see it because I don't think a lot of people have seen this movie. No. And I was fascinated with it. It's extremely original, yet I think it's something that we all probably have thought about. Like, what would our lives look like from afar, basically? It's also a cautionary tale for you married Munsons out there. <laughs> so it's like being being John Malkovich and click. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, if I were a critic rating it on the Rotten Tomatoes uh, score, I would probably go like a 90. Oh, damn. Yeah, go check it out. It's on Netflix. I wish it had gotten a larger audience because it. I think it certainly deserved it. All right, here's where I'm going to push you guys a little bit in my in my later direction. This is one of his best roles to me because Great. it requires him working on his uh, stage adaptation uh, persona. Basically, you have to have that training because this movie is driven entirely by him talking to himself. Basically, absolutely. Yep. You guys don't have any idea how hard that is. I mean, I've tried to act before. I'm terrible at it. But this guy is. This is makes it a case for him being one of the greatest actors on the on the known planet because he can pull off stuff like this and in the way that he. There's a lot of actors that can do this, but they can't do it on the same level. And I think the reason it was so engaging all the way to the end was because of his his performance in this role. Yeah, for sure. The way he brings you into into his mind and how they edit the movie to give you like three or four different scenarios of what he might experience in the house or if he encountered his wife that gives a really cool glimpse into what's going on in his head there's not a single false moment in this movie for him yeah i agree emotionally it's a roller coaster for him of highs and lows of what he's seeing and his expectations and what happens it's it's fascinating it's all something that i think we deal with as we get older too like there's a sense of like regret and you know, parts of your life that you wish you could kind of do over. And that's, that's sort of what he goes through. I had never heard of it before and I was very happy to watch it. That's for sure. I think I lean more towards the critic score. I go low seventies on it. I think the only reason it gets to that though, is because of Cranston's performance. He's the entirety of the movie in my eyes. For sure. He makes the drama. He sells the anxiety and the tense story and the darkness of it. Like by the time you realize where the story's going, it's like dark, dark. It's not, oh, all right, there's a couple that's kind of into weird shit sexually. It's this is a man who's losing his mind and he doesn't tell the audience that originally. You kind of figure it out. Yep. Because there's points in there where you're like, okay, enough's enough. Right. <laughs> Haven't you seen enough? 
But what the fuck more do you need to see before you go running back in there? Right. Yeah. It's like, she's called the police, man. Like she's sobbing her eyes out. Like I think now's probably the time you, you head back on in and she clearly likes you. <laughs> That's when I realized like, oh, this is about a man who's had essentially a nervous breakdown. I'm going to go 95 on it because I don't know that I'd watch it again by myself, but this is definitely one that I would enjoy showing to someone yeah, for the first somebody. time. One of the things that I appreciated about it from a direct directing standpoint is you think of like, what's the, how can someone realistically live in this dump for, especially during the winter when mm-hmm. your footprints and he at one point verbalizes like, how am I going to pull this off that she's going to see my footprints outside? So I appreciated the self-realization of the realistic nature of this. Yep. The first person on Instagram who, when we put up the wheel options, um, the first person who mentioned Brian Cranston was like, because I want to watch, rewatch Wakefield. So Please. got some fans out there for it. And don't undersell Jennifer Garner's performance. Almost entirely nonverbal, but still yeah. has to like convey an emotional sadness that convinces him like, holy shit, this, this relationship was real. Yeah. So, so 2016, huge year for him. We had All the Way, Infiltrator, Wakefield, and Why Him? So a comedy with James Franco and Zoe Deutsch. Movie was average. Yeah, I, I thought it was fine. It was funny. Yeah, I wanted to like it more than I did. I wanted to like Franco, but I just, I don't know. He was obnoxious. That's the point, yeah. I guess, but he was, he, I didn't find him funny. I think it would have been more funny if it was the other way around. If like Brian Cranston was the dad. James Franco had to like he was the one being introduced to him and kind of like a meet, like, meet the he, parents type thing. Yeah, he was more like the aloof like like Hal from Malcolm yeah, like, in the middle. Like the dad sucks so much, the boyfriend's like, I don't want to be here. Yeah, I've seen Franco do that role so many times. It's like he's basically yeah. playing himself uh, his his almost. pineapple express mixed yeah. with like a couple other roles, but like I think it would have been a lot more fun if it was like Cranston and she he has to like tell Zoe Deutsch he's like I don't know about your dad man that guy's <laughs> that guy's a fucking wiener or something you know something <laughs> like that so my favorite part of the movie is Cranston's character it's not quite De Niro from Meet the Parents like neurotic dad but not bad it's too cutesy so it's also just such an unwritten like how many of us are like oh yeah my daughter is dating a billionaire like <laughs> I can't I can't really relate to that no. Let Judd Apatow write that script. I like. I like. And then that. I'll watch it. And then I'll watch it. It'll be two and a half hours, but I'll watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and then in 2017, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, he played Zordon, the new edition of the Power Rangers movie, where he wasn't shitting on the Blue Ranger, I guess. The floating head. There you go. Um, important character in the uh, Power Rangers universe. And then our last category is largest audience gap, and that's 2017's The Upside, and Case has it. The Upside is a 2017 drama directed by Neil Berger. Neil Berger also produced or directed The Illusionist, The Lucky Ones, Limitless, The Jury, Billions, and The Divergent series. Upside is a remake of the 2011 French film The Intouchables. The story behind these two movies was inspired by the lives of Abdel Salou and Philippe Pozo de Borgo. This is actually the third remake of The Untouchables, accounting for the Telugu and Argentinian versions, which I had no idea about until I read that. Wow. The Upside stars Brian Cranston, Kevin Hart, and Nicole Kidman. Cranston, who is clearly the star, plays a quadriplegic billionaire, Philip Lacoste, and he is coming off of two tragic life events that have no doubt left him disenfranchised. His wife recently passed away from cancer, and he was most recently paralyzed during a hang gliding accident. What an idiot. <laughs> what a loser. 
Why would you do that? <laughs> I'm alive, alive, dead. Kevin Hart plays Del Scott, who's a deadbeat dad and struggling to reform as a convict. Uh, as required by his parole officer, Hart's character must be trying to gain employment. And that's how he comes into Brian Cranston's world. Hart thinks he's interviewing for a <laughs> to be the building's janitor. However, he's actually interviewing to be Cranston's caregiver or life auxiliary, as they call it in the movie. Had anybody ever heard that term before? Life auxiliary? No. No, not once. This is where we're introducing Nicole Kidman character, Yvonne. She's basically Lacasse's personal assistant and executive to handle all of his business. She hates Dell during the interview because she hates him. This causes Philip to hire him because he's mad at Yvonne for saving his life when he had clearly given do not resuscitate orders. He doesn't come off suicidal. He is clearly unhappy in life. There's two love stories going on in this movie. It's a love story about a quadriplegic and his caregiver, while also a love story between Cranston and Kidman's character. It's got great pace, well-developed, really an easy watch. To me, this seemed like a really a big breakout role for Kevin Hart. I personally think Kevin Hart's hilarious, and, and I'll watch anything he's in. But this movie allowed him to play a real dramatic role while still being charismatic, charming, and at times moving emotionally. Cranston delivers exactly what y'all would expect out of him. At one time, he's, you know, he pulls off the crass, I'm better than anybody in the room act. But then within a couple of sentences, he's the hilarious guy that everyone in the room wants to hang out with. That's not pulled off very easily. Also not pulled off very easily, since he's a quadriplegic, he's only allowed to use dialogue and facial expressions to, to get his, his story across. I tried to find some interesting trivia and some, and some other behind-the-scenes stuff on this movie, but really all I kept coming up with was that the producers of this movie were criticized for not casting a quadriplegic, and Cranston was actually criticized for taking the role. But Cranston even came out and said, like, you know, uh, it's kind of what actors do, right? Like, we, we play people that aren't ourselves. In, in regards to that, Bill Burr has uh, a stand-up that came out, I think, a year or two ago that references that. He said, my buddy Brian Cranston, uh, he played a paraplegic in The Upside, and everyone gave him a ton of shit for it. <laughs> Bill Burr goes on, he's like, well, it's because it's called acting. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that before. <laughs> he's like, it's like saying, why didn't you have a murderer play the murderer? And the guy who got shot, I saw him alive in another movie. What's going on there? <laughs> it's hard to argue with Bill Burr's logic on anything, right? I agree. What would have been great for this movie is if Cranston was replaced by The Rock. And so it was, uh, <laughs> it was Kevin Hart with uh, paraplegic The Rock. <laughs> 300 pounds of... And he still has, like, how, how do you have all that muscle when you can't... Ex- exactly, <laughs> yeah. I worked out six hours a day for 20 years before I was... He's, he's got the he's got away the, for 10 years. He's got the electrical, like, sensors on his body at all times, just constantly flexing his muscles. <laughs> Those ab things people would put on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing he can move is his eyebrow. <laughs> yes. Smell what's cooking. Yeah. <laughs> Craig, one of the one of the reasons I read online, I and I think this movie got shit on so much, is uh this is one of the last movies that Weinstein produced, and then all the oh. all the reasons that he absolutely deserved to, to go to jail came out. And uh this movie was delayed. And everything was proven true about him. And then the movie came out. So I feel like critics were just itching to dunk on it where it was like, oh, there's cliches. 
really what they want to say is fuck you, Harvey. Go to jail forever. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah Harvey, why didn't you cast the quadriplegic? <laughs> right. Yeah, that that's the most pressing question to ask Harvey Weinstein is <laughs> casting issues. <laughs> I thought the movie was pretty good. The Untouchables, the French version, I think, is better. I don't think they did the story any any injustices. They're two good charismatic characters. How how similar are the stories? To the yeah, how similar the stories? Not, not really. Not really. There's a lot. Of, they take a lot of creative license with the like Cranston's story in this one, but okay. the original, the the guy who played Kevin Hart's character is a pretty famous French actor, and he's phenomenal in that role. Well, and the the American version weighs heavily on cliche. Uh, yeah. uh, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like deadbeat dad. Oh, gotta be the black guy. Nicole Kidman gotta be an uppity white girl. You know, it's just just mm-hmm. that. That was my only problem with it. Is like it's very socially unaware of how aware it is but the original is also uh, a largest audience gap as well even on imdb i know it was on the imdb top 250 at one point but it's got an 8.5 from users and only a 57 from the critics so it's similar in that vein interesting mm-hmm. thanks case yeah man all right we're gonna wind down the rest of his career here uh, so 2017 to modern day he is in 2017's disaster artist he plays himself in a short scene where he essentially tries to uh, recruit Greg Sestero's character to be a lumberjack on Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> also 2017, he's in Last Flag Flying as Sal Nealon, alongside Lawrence Fishburne and Steve Carell. Great buddy flick. Yep. Yeah, I like yep. that movie. Yeah, I did too. Yep. I didn't mind it either. Richard Linklater, right? Linklater doesn't, doesn't make bad movies. It's just, there's too much dark military references that I didn't get where I was like, this is just not made for me, so I'm just going to watch something. Not the target market. Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's in one episode as Dr. Templeton in 2017. I watched it. It's such a hilarious episode. And his his banter with Larry David is so good in that episode, man. It's great. It was cool to see him return to his comedic roots. It's a subtle humor, too. It's not It a- is. It is. It was. It's kind of like Tim Watley. Tim Watley in Seinfeld is one of those, like, he's not trying to be funny. He just, he is just so random and awkward and... That's kind of how his character was in Curb, too. So that's a good point because, like, from Trumbo on, it was all like serious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's a, an up, upward spike in his career. You know, from that mm-hmm. point, he did go back to the comedy for that, and it was. It's nice to see that he still has those chops. Yeah, yeah. Twenty eighteen, he again some of the stuff he's done outside of just acting. He was a creator of a, of a series called The Dangerous Book for Boys. I think it's only one season that I know of, and then um, he won. Another Best Actor award. He won the Laurence Olivier Award for Best Actor in London and the Tony for Best Actor on Broadway for his performance as Howard Beale in Network, as James mentioned earlier. Just killing it on the theater side. Then just a few more that we'll mention. 2018, he was in the Wes Anderson side in Isle of Dogs. He played Chief, which was a primary character in that movie. Did some voice acting. We see the uh, long-awaited El Camino Breaking Bad movie in 2019, the one that they had rumored for a while and finally happened. He's, you know, we don't really need to rehash his character, but he makes an appearance in the movie. And then uh, in 2020, we see him in a movie on Disney Plus called The One and Only Ivan. He plays a character named Mac. That's kind of brings us to where we're at today. The because uh, we mentioned he's in a lot of TV. Here are some of the other TV shows that he's been on is with recurring characters that are just good to mention he was on the louis show 96 he was in the lilo and stitch series um i assume that was on disney who could forget right he's played a number of characters over a 14 year span on uh, family guy so he's been a 10 different episodes 
He was in How I Met Your Mother. He played a character named Ham and Druthers, three episodes. Robot Chicken played a bunch of characters, five episodes over a seven-year period. And he was in The Cleveland Show as Dr. Fist, Mr. Oxnard, and Graham Kensington between 2012 and 2013. In terms of just very brief television appearances, so one or two episodes, he did Baywatch, 89. I feel like that's a staple with a lot of the actors we've been talking about lately. Um, The Flash, 91. Matlock, 87 to 91. We got Walker, Texas Ranger, 94. Yes. I watched a lot of Walker, Texas Ranger back in the day. Um, Touch by an Angel, he's done some soaps. We mentioned One Life to Live earlier. Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show. Clerks, American Dad, which we mentioned a lot with appearances. 30 Rock, and then The Simpsons, as we mentioned earlier. From a directing standpoint, uh, he's directed episodes of The Office, Breaking Bad, Malcolm in the Middle, and Modern Family. So he's, he's done quite a bit. Rigby, do you have any top performances for us? Uh, yeah, I found a top 10 Brian Cranston performances. This is TV and movies. I think we can all guess what number one it will be, but this is from Deadpool 2016. He's the, uh, the admin. I didn't really want to use this list, but then I looked on his IMDb profile and he has like hundreds of these rankings for different actors. So the guy seems to know what he's talking about. So let's go off this list. Anybody want to start? 10 movies or TV shows. Hal's got to be on there. So Breaking Bad's number one. Walter White's number one, right? Definitely, yeah. That's, that was pretty yeah. obvious, yeah, because that's, yep. Hal's got to be number two. No, Hal is number 10. I wanted him to Ooh. be higher. Ooh. Yeah. LBJ. LBJ is number two. Shit list. <laughs> Shit list. Wakefield? <laughs> uh, Wakefield, number seven. Trumbo. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Trumbo's <laughs> number three. Power Rangers, no, no go for you, James. Throw this list out. Um, <laughs> give us <laughs> no, so, Wally's not on here. Argo, Shannon from Drive. Oh yeah, Drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It drives on there. Nice. Yep. Number five. How about Madagascar three? Nope. Dean Tano from Larry Crown. Uh, nope. Sneaky Pete. No. Or is any of it uh, voice work? Oh, that's a good question. No. Last flag flying. Yeah, that's number four. Oh, see. So we got and one six. episode where his head explodes. The X Files, the paraplegic. No, guy? we got six, eight, and nine. How about Twas the Night? Nope. Damn it. <laughs> we're just, we're just naming ranch. movies now. All right, give us the other ones, Rigby. Tell us. Uh, six is Argo. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, eight is the Infiltrator. Oh. And nine is Godzilla. Uh, okay. What? Uh, yeah, uh, I agree with uh, I agree with that. They have Godzilla ahead I, of Malcolm in the Middle. That's I would have put Malcolm in the middle in the top five if you're asking if you're asking me. Easy top five. We're gonna get to the Munson meter. So if you're a first time listener, the way this works, each one of us gets a chance to rate the actor on a scale of zero to hundred, based on our own whims. But the general categories we base that on are longevity, how long have they been in the acting game, how consistent have they been. We look at their choice in projects. We examine their pop culture impact, their range as an actor. Um, their awards footprint, if they have any other talents outside of acting, their personal life, their comedic chops, and their box office success, and any other intangibles that we care about as as Munson's. So with that said, I'm going to start with Case. Krantz is a tough one for me to rate based on how I've evaluated all of our all of our different actors. A lot of his mega roles are coming from TV, and so it's a little bit tougher because one, he's not getting a ton of box office traction. 
And two, some of the other actors that we've rated are only movie with a few TV. However, I love that it seems like he doesn't take himself too seriously, but yet he seems very professional. For example, he appeared on Hot Ones. He's the first actor that has been on Hot Ones before we recorded. And then at the same time, you know, he'll go on and do pressers and he'll be Kevin Hart. He'll do an impression of Kevin Hart for the entire interview. <laughs> that's just really fun, right? And, and that's, that's what I like to see. I'm just going to give him a score of 75. Okay. Warren. The TV aspect of it, for me, that I mean, that is 95% of you know his career in my book. I, I really hadn't heard of many of these movies. But, I mean, if you were to take the TV stuff out of it, like his longevity in film, it's it goes back a long ways, but notable roles in movies? I mean, he, he's really only been like... 10 years worth of, of notable stuff Yeah, of all the actors who we've either covered or really any actor that I can think of. I couldn't imagine an actor that I would pay to see more do a show on Broadway. Oh yeah. He has the, the, the delivery he's got the, just the, the, the voice and the demeanor and everything that I think you can get in the theater I haven't seen enough of his other movies that people have talked about. Like I know Dan, you've, you've you know gushed over some of the movies and rugby you as well. I just I, I didn't get around to seeing them, but there's just something about seeing them in theater that is a little bit. It's just more raw. Unfortunately, it's not a theater podcast, but I'm still giving him credit for that. I would love to see him just get out of that like loophole that. You know, he, I guarantee he's just a really, really goofy, you know, just a really goofy guy. And so I want to see him lighten up a little bit in some of the roles. And I, I just don't know what that's going to be. He can do whatever he wants future wise. You know, uh, he's play, he can punch whatever ticket because of Breaking Bad. So I'm going to give him a 77. And I really, really do believe like my favorite stuff of his is still yet to come. Okay. Rigby. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, his TV stuff, obviously, you know, Walter White's probably one of the, among the top five TV characters ever. I've, like I said, I've never, I haven't seen the show start to finish, but just based off the accolades and the cultural impact that that show had, I think obviously we're a movie podcast, but he gets major points with me for that, for pop culture um, impact. He gets Seinfeld points with me because that's my favorite show of all time. Um, and he's a he's in some of the, my more memorable episodes. The movies that he's been in, uh, like Warren said, not a lot, but I think the future for him, because I think he's kind of, he's been in that TV role that he'll always be known as Walter White. He really can't go back to TV, I don't think. So movies are the future for him. And I'm hoping that he can get some, some roles like Trumbo where he leads the way and gets a lot of, you know, best actor nominations or Golden Globes or things like that. But I think he's... He's obviously a very talented guy. He seems like he's got a good personality, like Craig mentioned as well. So with all that being said, I'm going to give Brian Cranston an 83. All right. James, our guest Munson, what do you got? I have to take into consideration that your guys' show is called Munson at the Movies and try and respect that. You specifically do not have to respect anything. 100%. I was just saying that to be respectful. I was just saying that to be respectful. I don't fair. give a fuck about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we bring Dame on. Case, you, you mentioned that he doesn't take himself seriously. I wish that he would. Dr. Rick, who's not a medical doctor, by the way, <laughs> brings up the uh, 
the Broadway aspect, I could not agree more. There is one actor in the known universe that I would pay more to see, and I'll talk about him in just a moment. Uh, when I look at actors, I look at, they come in tiers to me. And at the top tier, you have Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, everything from My Left Foot to Phantom Thread. Love Phantom Thread. And he's got a huge career, huge career. Like Phantom Thread is not a movie that I would watch until you tell me DDL's in it. And then like I'm suddenly magically tricked into it being one of the greatest movies of all time. Mm -hmm. It's just comes down to performance. When I look at Brian Cranston, he's the next person on the tier for me. I've got Daniel Day-Lewis, and then I've got Brian Cranston. And I'm not going to tell you it's because of everything that he's ever done. When I say that I wish he took himself more seriously, it's because drama is my favorite genre of film. Yeah, That's not to take away from his uh, his roles in uh, the comedy shows like King of Queens, when, when he played Hal, his character Hal is famous. I mean, those are just a credit to his versatility. Mm-hmm. Honestly, there's no one better than him except for Daniel Day-Lewis, maybe. Daniel Day-Lewis is 100, and Jack Nicholson's like a 94, which is just below Brian Cranston to me. I'm going to go with a 95 for Brian Cranston. And the only reason that he's four points lower than Daniel Day-Lewis is because the bulk, um, this is my respect for your show, the bulk of his just incredible performances. Like Walter White is one of the most polarizing characters in the history of television. Mm-hmm. Whether you've seen it or not, or seen the whole thing, you if you've seen the the uh the first episode the pilot yep yeah you'll know i mean you just know that this guy's got got everything that you need he's a 95 to me i so. like it saying it with your <laughs> chest too i appreciate it right it officially yeah, the yeah. highest score anyone's ever received on the yeah. podcast in 22 episodes well how often do you have somebody like he's my favorite like working actor no. like daniel d lewis is not working right jack nicholson's yeah. not working right now so brian cranston's my He's my pinnacle. The three actors who have flirted with getting there were Mahershala, Janney, and Lithgow. We're probably yeah. the three that we've covered, at least up to this point. Full respect, man. Uh, you're you're a Munson, and you all the opinions count, except for Rigby's, because mm-hmm. they're just kind yes. of fair. So. They're fair, yeah. <laughs> they're just fair. <laughs> James. You guys have covered it. Uh, not to rehash too much, but longevity's there. He's won... Uh, Tony Awards, he's won multiple Emmys for dramatic roles, but also one of the more iconic comedic roles in Malcolm in the Middle, a show that wasn't on for that long, but is still part of pop culture today. But when you talk about Brian Cranston, what you really need to focus on is Breaking Bad. Walter White is one of the most iconic TV show characters of all time, a truly evil character, anti-hero, and... It is because of how Brian Cranston portrays him. Uh, George R. Martin, the writer of Game of Thrones, which is well known for its terrible, uh, hard to root for and impossible to root for evil characters, was quoted as saying that Walter White uh, is more evil than any character in Westeros, and it's particularly close. Watching his portrayal, Brian Cranston's portrayal, immediately I got rehooked into the show. And because of that, I'm going to give him an 84. Okay. I will round us out. I'm going to preface this. I'm going to give him one of the highest scores I've given an actor. Um, and that's because in terms of awards, he's done it all. Other than win his Oscar, he's at least been nominated. But in terms of Emmys and Tonys, best actor, yep. you know, he's gotten uh, noms for supporting actor in comedies for Malcolm in the Middle. So in terms of accolades from that standpoint, he's, he's marked, hits all the checkboxes. I love 
what he does outside of just acting, his writing, producing, directing, theater, television, movies. He's, you know, in baseball terms, he's a five-tool player when it comes to that. So I love that, and that's going to counter and go into my my score. A few things that really sold me on him, I thought it was funny in an interview uh, at Oxford, he uh, talked about how he got into acting originally because he wanted to impress and attract women, which I thought was refreshingly honest all things considered, because most people would be like, I had a dream. And he's like, no, nah, I just wanted to meet women. And it just turned out I was really good at it. <laughs> and I appreciate that he tr- he's tried a bunch of accents over the years, some great, some not, but that's him going out of his comfort zone as an actor and trying different stuff. But the thing that really sold me for him is if you go to YouTube and you find he did a, a 60th birthday skit with Jimmy Kimmel, where they basically mock like six Sweet 16 television show. And it's him talking to his actual parents and like shitting on them because he wants an expensive 60th birthday (laughs) that just reminded me how funny he is and how good of an actor he can be so with all that said there's not much i'm gonna knock him on and i'm gonna give him an 83 warren what does that bring us in terms of a of an average well guys we've got a new number one oh nice Brian Cranston gets an 82.83, which is 0.6 higher than Mahershala Ali. Look at wow. that. Wow. Dames. At the top couldn't, couldn't have done it without you, Dames. Yep. Yeah. That's I awesome. think it's fair. I think, I think it's, uh, I think it's fair. Very fair. Yeah. Very fair. Warren, what's he got coming? He's got a TV show series coming out on Showtime. He is the main character but it's a legal thriller that rips through all the strata of new orleans society he stars as a respected judge whose son is involved in a hit and run that leads to a high stakes game of lies deceit and impossible choices so breaking bad too yep. <laughs> minus the uh, the drugs but just with hurricanes instead the drinks not the actual hurricanes <laughs> themselves and uh yeah that's uh that's all he has coming up right now what's it called your honor your honor there was some fan art about uh, them coming up with who the the inspiration for the fan art for Dr. Doom was Brian Cranston. And uh, while, yes, Dr. Doom is like, if not the most important villain in like the Marvel universe, uh, Brian Cranston in that role is not what I want to see. I want to see a younger no-name person just in case it sucks i don't want him <laughs> i don't want him attached to it <laughs> the biggest go. issue with dr doom is that he's tied to the fantastic yeah like, that's that's the whole thing like it's <laughs> going to be the fantastic four and they they've just repeatedly shit the bed just ignore them and just get dr doom in there somehow <laughs> they've really fucked the dr doom thing but i would get it but i mean he he just kind of needs to stay away from that yeah i don't know if marvel's really in the in the cards for him yeah but who knows you know it could be it could go either way really it could be the the good people at marvel that know what they're doing i think about dc you guys they have like two of the greatest properties in the known universe and they can't get it right (laughs) with batman and superman Superman. it's like what the fuck are you doing this shit sells (laughs) itself and you can't put together a fucking Decent story. Yeah, they got Batman, Superman, and Marvel's rolling out uh, Moon Knight, who like 99.9% yeah, exactly. of people have never heard of, but it's going to kick ass. <laughs> well, think about Iron Man when Iron Man came out. I was like, Jesus Christ. James, what do you think about playing? Uh, I'm excited for the opportunity. You know, I was a huge Moon <laughs> as everyone is. <laughs> 
And, you know, it's just good to get back to work and, you know, just feel normal. See, it's crazy. That, that's, that's the rumor. I don't even know if it's, I think it's more than rumor that Oscar Isaac's going to play Moon Knight. Right. Well, so. it was Oscar, they had Oscar Isaac and then they also had uh, Nick, Nick Kroll. Kroll, get out of here. Yeah. Fuck yeah. off. A bunch of people were just, they were absolutely appalled at I, the possibility of him doing it. And I, I love, I love Nick Kroll. I think he's hilarious. Why not Pete Davidson? <laughs> he's in DC, bro. He's in that, he's in Suicide Squad. He's good. He's fun. No, I th- I'm intrigued by Oscar Isaac as, uh, as Moon Knight. I think it can make a really cool story. I have no idea who Moon Knight is. And so to go off of Warren's point, like Marvel's killed it so much that they're in like, not even secondary characters. They're, the fifth level characters and still churning out good movies and DC can't get Batman. Right. The great thing is Marvel, like whenever they come out with this stuff and they're like, Oh, it's moon Knight," And they're like, well, people are like, I don't know who moon Knight is. And they're like, well, according to, you know, footfuckers.com, uh, moon Knight is the 98th most important character yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the Marvel universe. And then everyone's like, Oh, I disagree with that list. Here's my list from, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, I don't know. Yeah, I got to tell you, I don't know who any of the people you've talked about the last five <laughs> minutes are. So, I'm out. Okay. Oh, yeah. Mark, I got to tell you guys, I just quick referenced footfucker.com. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> there, was, there was one list that we had. It was a list, and it was like something foot-related that Rigby yeah. pulled up one time. It was definitely <laughs> an OnlyFans account. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can't remember what it was called now. <laughs> yeah, it's a running... <laughs> Actually, I take that back. There's some cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please be sure to like and subscribe. So for our next episode, we've got five actors generated from our mega list. We're throwing them onto the wheel. And those five are Greg Kinnear, Bette Midler, Allison Brie, Catherine Hahn, and Daniel Kaluuya. What are our thoughts? Not Bette Midler. I'd be happy to do any of them. Yeah, Bette Midler is a little dated, yeah. but yeah. yeah. That's if you go- if beaches Google- all the way, guys. Beaches. If you Google Bette Midler, uh, Donald Trump is the fourth picture that pops up. <laughs> Sick. Can't wait. It's a weird combo. I'd love to do Greg Kinnear because he's he's veered into like the Christian movies now. It's taking a weird uh-huh. turn. Yeah, someone will have to watch Stuck on You. <laughs> I want to do Kinnear though. That I'd like to do him. I want to do Catherine Hahn because I think she's hilarious. Yeah, and she's somebody else somebody else will have to watch uh the goods. <laughs> yes. Oh yes. Just watch Step Brothers six times. <laughs> Kaluya's great. He's got some awesome stuff for the past couple of years. And yeah. same with Allison Bree. She's done some really cool and weird projects too. Like Horse Girl. I loved Horse Girl. She's got one of the funniest funnier die videos with uh Dave Franco. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. It's called it's called Dream Girl. It's like four minutes long. Dames, who would you pick from these five? Who do you like? You like Midler? Oh, Midler. So I want to hear you guys fumble around for two hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen to me give a half hour on Hocus Pocus. Uh, honestly, of those, <laughs> that's like, true. my choice would be, if I had a choice, I realize that's not how it works, but Greg Kinnear, he's great. Okay. As always, uh, we don't make the decision. The wheel decides. And uh, we'll see what happens. The wheel decides, but Kyle also decides. <laughs> well dames it's been a pleasure my friend do you have any uh any plugs i know you probably want to push the cf3 side a little bit or anything on that up and on that front well we were trying to put together a comeback episode for thanksgiving but probably not that's really not realistic it's going to be around the first of the year but space ghost might be our first video uh video guest 
I, I hope I'm not blowing that for Dane or Jeff. I know we haven't really decided. <laughs> Put the pressure on him, man. You got about a week to tell us, and we can edit it out. Yeah. So <laughs> You can put whatever. Uh, he won't care. Nobody will care. That's one of the ones we're working on. We're working on maybe Sean Whalen again for people under the stairs. Got a couple uh, choices to make. Okay. Michael Rebauer is always fun. Yeah. We want to do Garbage Pail Kids. With him. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a, I- so, yeah, there's some things uh, down the pipe, but we really don't have anything set. Where do people find CF3? CF3pod.com or on YouTube. I think it's the same. Just look up CF3, and uh, we're the we're the ones that are there. Great stuff, great content. Yeah. We've joined a number of us months since have joined in the past, and so if you're a listener, yep. go check out CF3 for a big cult fan, cult film fan. It, it's the place to check out for sure. Yeah, we stopped at 69. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a good right number. On. Reminds me of Film Keeper. Really good podcast, Dames. You guys got a fun show. Thank you. Appreciate you, Dames. Thanks, Dames. Yep. Yeah. yeah, thanks, man. This was a this blast. This was a blast. Yeah, thanks, man. We appreciate it. Really it was. Glad to have you, man. Yeah. Um, yep. Our next podcast is going to hit on November 19th. We're bringing in the uh, – Dane is going to make his return. He was our first ever Munson's guest on the Alicia Vikander oh, that's right. episode. And Dane's coming back for a return trip. Um, so he knows what's going to happen. He knows the deal at this point. And uh, we'll see if, uh, if it's somebody he's excited about. Guess we'll find out. Is he a big um, Bette Midler fan? Does anyone have his podcast? <laughs> 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 I'm ask sure Dan. he is. Huge Bette Midler fan. <laughs> Usually those are the context clues, right? Like, oh, who would they like from this list? Because they signed up right, for exactly. it. Right, so. exactly. Guess wisely, I suppose. Um, but we're, we're excited to have Dane back. He He's a, a big friend of the podcast, and we love CF3, so always loving, loving the cross streams on that front. You can always find us on Twitter at Munson's at Movies. You can find us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from the Munson's? Who are you talking to right now? Who is it you think you see? You clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger. I am the danger. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?